I want you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I do, as I said just a minute ago, uh, over the next year, you're going to hear so much more about the importance of why we have mission partners and why we want to be around the world and why we're doing all the things that we're doing. In fact, if I haven't told you already, I'll tell you again, because there's just things that excite me. Um, But next year, we will be doing a a series kind of throughout the whole year where I'm going to be preaching through the three missionary journeys of Paul. And scattered within those messages, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about the call of God in our lives because we want to know the importance that God has raised us up as a church to go. And we want to see what God is going to do with that next year. You know, and it takes so many things, so many pieces on a Sunday morning to make these things kind of happen from the the, the choir that you heard this morning. Thanks, uh, Anita, for putting that together. To the Pollocks and all the others that have been coming and and doing our readings and the lightings of the candles, to maybe uh, Mr. David Holbrook in the back, who yesterday celebrated 11 years on our staff. And so I wanted to let them know how much we appreciate what they do on a daily basis. Thank you, David, for making me look good. My wife has tried for 25 years, and she's still working at it. How many of you, um, one last reminder, uh, after service today, when we dismiss in just a little bit, uh, we're going to ask our membership to stay back. Around 11.45, we're going to have our, our vision meeting, do some voting. And so uh, when we dismiss today, if you're, if you're a guest, hey, we're glad you came. Uh, you may not want to hang around. You may want to, but um, we're going to have a voting time. And so uh, we're going to dismiss and come and join us, and we'll get that started, assuming that I don't preach for an hour and a half. Uh, but I don't think that we will, because I've, I've actually enjoyed this series a whole lot more than I realized. Not just because Advent, but you know, we started over here to my left with the Charlie Brown Christmas tree as we celebrated hope. And then we went to that Grinch tree that's over to my right when we celebrated peace. And then last Sunday, this beautiful tree uh, that illustrated um, and went along with uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and we celebrated joy. This week we have this tree, and you may not recognize this tree, but here's what I think you will recognize. You have somebody in your family that drives you crazy. All of us in this room, we've got someone just like this. You dread going to family Christmas because you know that person's going to be there. And you'll go, and you're, you're eating, and you get your plate, and you go sit down, and you're sitting on there, and they sit down next to you, and you kind of slide away from them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all all have that person in your life that's just hard to love. Amen? Come on, y'all are a bunch of liars. Hey, listen, we just finished teaching about heaven, and it was clear in Revelation that all liars have their place in the lake of fire. You know what I'm talking about. And you've got neighbors that you see them come down the mailbox and you hurry back in, you shut your door. They're just hard to love. But you know what's, what's interesting when you think about the movie, and, and, and guys, if you don't know, I analyze movies. But I think one of the important themes about the movie Elf is love. Now here's Buddy Elf who crawls into Santa's uh, pack as a, as a child, an orphan, and he ends up at the North Pole. He's raised by elves and He's just oblivious. You have those people in your life that are just so naive to the world. 
but innocently. But he has this joy that's contagious, is it not? But he finds out that he's not an elf. I mean, he towers over them by about four feet. And he makes this trek when he finds out that his mom died and his dad was still living and was working in New York. And so he makes this journey from the North Pole to New York to meet his dad. And if you, if you, if you know the scenes of the movie, his dad is named Walter Hobbs and he's a cynical businessman. He's a hard man. He doesn't take time for his family. In fact, I would argue that he's actually the main character of the movie because he's the one that goes through transformation. Buddy really, Buddy realizes who his dad is, but, but Walter Hobbs is the one that goes through a major transformation because all of a sudden, in the busyness of, of, of his office life, this elf shows up and he thinks it's a singogram, a Christmas gram. And, and he goes, well, you know, he, he has no clue. I mean, he's, the guy's standing there and he's all excited. And he said, well, go ahead and sing what you're going to sing. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm here. Um, we've never met, but he wants me to sing him a song. And um, I was adopted and he, knew I, he never knew I was born. So here I am. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. In the cringiest, almost as cringy as watching Michael Scott in the office is him standing there singing. Come on, y'all have watched The Office. <laughs> Cringy is watching that. You see Buddy Elf singing to his dad, and his dad's flabbergasted. His dad doesn't want him. And some of us in this room, we, 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 we kind of take on both of these personas. We know what it's like to be that outcast. We know what it's like to be the weird one, the one that's not normally accepted, to, to be living on the fringe to be rejected, ostracized, either because of the way we look or where we've been, the way we behave. But then some of us are on that other side and, and we're like the dad and we, we know what it's like to reject somebody because they're different. We know what it's like to reject somebody because they don't fit the norm. They're on the, mar they're on the marginalized section of life. Guys, that's what lit your fire last week when we played that video about Night to Shine. Over 90 people have already signed up in the first week to serve at Night to Shine. And I want to say thank you. Because to me, when we think about our special friends, and there's going to be a bunch of them. I mean, we're, we're planning for over 150 of our special friends to show up on this campus to have a prom. And you're like, what in the world would you do that for? Because they need to be loved on. Those families need to be loved on. They need to be shown that they're not on the margins. They're not outcasts. They're not on the edge of the city. We want to bring them to our home. And we want to love on them like they're in our house. And so I want, I want you to pray because this is, wait, let, me, let me clarify something. Not everybody who signs up is going to be a partner with one of our need, special needs friends. We've got food to serve. We've got check-in to do. We've got parking lots to watch over. We've got shoes to shine. We've got crowns to put on heads. We've got something for everyone in this room that you can do. And I want you to pray about how you can do this because we're going to talk about love today and this may be one of the most scattered messages you've ever heard me preach. But you want to know why? Because I believe love is messy. Love is hard. You're going to go to those Christmas meals and it's going to be hard to sit next to that uncle that smells. But you do it because you love him. Because here's the thing, love is not measured by lovability. Love is measured by unlovability. It's easy to accept somebody who's got it all together. 
It's easy to accept somebody who's, who's putting, on the, putting on the Ritz and has all the things that may be socially accepted. They may have the money. They may have the looks. You know, we want to be, be friends with a person who's got the cool vibe. But I'm going to tell you what. What shows love is when you give it to someone who can't reciprocate it. When you give it to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Because frankly, in this room, every one of us are sitting under the grace of God and not one of you deserve it. God gave it to you freely because that's really what is the essence of the word love. Love in the Greek language, I mean, there's many different words for love. And I could spend an hour and a half talking about all of those words. But the one that I want to focus on is agape love. The unconditional love, that disposition of God that in his grace and his mercy acts benevolently toward us with nothing reciprocated with nothing in return he acts on your behalf when you can't act and that's what it means to say that i love someone period so how was god's love measured well it's easy first john 4 8 through 10 says the one who does not love does not know god for god is love it is who he is it's it's his essence it's his character And so when you and I know this God, he sent his own son. That is the measurement of the love of God in your life and in my life. I shouldn't have chewed up that that cough drop because now it's choking me. I'm sitting here, come on. I'm not getting choked up, I'm just getting choked. That's a big difference. But here's the major truth. Only know love when we know God. I mean, that's the only way to know it. I mean, I, there's a lot of things I say I love in life. I, I love ice cream, and I love my family, but that's not the same word for love, is it? When we come to know love, it changes everything. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ, let us reflect on how the measure of love from God was manifested in that God, His Son, took on human flesh so that He could die in our place. Did you get that? Greater love, John said, has no one than this, that he'd lay down his life for his friends. Let that one sit for a minute. Because I can say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but I haven't died for you. Jesus did. And so when we, we hear John saying this again, that he who has the son has the life, And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Love is the very foundation of our existence. And so I want to ask you to stand as we read from Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse number 14. This is the second second prayer that Paul is going to pray for the Ephesians church to whom he has written about being unified. Remember we talked two weeks ago in chapter 2 about how the walls have been torn down that God in Christ has destroyed the hatred that exists. And now he's going to pray for them a second time. So starting in verse number 14, it says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He could have said, I pray for you, or I'm going to ask God for this. But he says, I bow my knees. He physically dropped to the ground, moved in his own love for them to pray for them. In verse 15, he says, from whom the Father, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
so that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man so that in Christ, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So Father, as we, we go through this message today, would you speak to our hearts? For those, God, that may be in this room today that have been rejected, that have been hurt, that have been pushed aside, that have never been loved, I want them to see the purity of your love. And for those of us standing here today that may be more secure in that love, God, help us to see how we can be a conduit of that love that we might make a difference for the gospel in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to go back and read this quote because it's so awesome. Uh, Clinton Arnold says this about this prayer that we're, we're about to study. The second prayer also picks up on the theme of the love of God and seeks divine revelation in the magnitude of Christ's love. Paul prays that his readers will experience su such love in a way that will provide a firm foundation for their lives. So let me give you kind of a basic outline of this book. If you want to start back at verse number 14. For this reason, I bow my knees. That is the primary verb of this whole uh, pericope that we are reading from, this passage. In fact, what we just read is one sentence. I mean, a lot of Bible writers are the master of run-on sentence. It just keeps going and going and going. But the primary verb here is that I bow. And following that, he's asking for primarily three things. In, in the Greek language, it's called the subjunctive. Let me remind you what that means. Subjunctive is this case of what if. Like if I say right now, I'm going to finish my message and I might go to Los Amigos. I hope I do. That's become my favorite go-to one because it's right across the street. It's really easy to get to. But the guys there are really nice. I mean, if you've not been there, I just plugged, hey, you know, guys at Los Amigos, y'all can give me a free meal today because I just gave, gave a commercial for you. But in that case of subjunctive, what Paul's going to say is, this is what I want to happen in your life. And so he gives this string of three requests that God would grant or give in verse 18 that you would be able or strong enough to receive what's coming after. And then the, the last one is in the last half of the last verse I read, which is to be filled. That's my favorite. Because all of us sitting in this room come up short on any, day, on any given day. Our tanks get empty, do they not? And we need to be filled to the fullness, overflowing with whatever it is that God has for you and for me. Isn't that the kind of life that we ought to live? I mean, Buddy Elf is annoying but he, he overflows, his character overflows with joy and love and laughter. Guys, I'm telling you, maybe this Christmas, stop being a miser and a Grinch and step into that kind of joy that wherever you go, you're, you're wishing people Merry Christmas. That you're, you're, not, you're not so busy and so, so irritable because you're Christmas shopping that you have time to stop and speak to somebody you don't know. And ask them, hey, do you know the reason for the season? I mean, how easy it is. We think it's hard to share the gospel. It's really not. We just have to overcome the fear 
and take on the courage that God gives us to be able to do so. So I want you to pick up in verse number 14. I want you to pick up in verse number 14. The first point I have today is this. Love connects the Creator God and His people. I started to say to His people, but I want you to see it like this. God connects us to Him. The Creator God, the God of the universe, wants to have a connection with me. But then in that connection, he wants me to connect with other people. That's the point of this book. He's trying to call for these walls to be torn down, for there to be peace between these two main people groups. And by coming together, listen to what he says, for this reason. That means you've got to look back in the previous two and a half chapters to see he says Gentiles can be saved. That Gentiles are included in the gospel, Jews. So tear the wall down. Stop letting yourself be divided. And he calls them. He says, I've been called to preach to them so that they can be enlightened in the gospel. For that reason, he says, I bow my knee. Literal prayer posture signifying this fervent, heartfelt, face-to-face praying with God the Father. I can pray in my car, but when I take a moment and I get down on my knees, I'm not taking prayer for granted. I'm making it serious. And he said, I am on my knees, so moved by the gospel, so moved that God would even consider this, that I'm going to pray for you. And so he says that he's before the Father, that he is the focus of our prayer, our petition. And we will see the rest of the persons of the Trinity here, but the very thing that connects the persons of our one God together is love. I disagree with some of our church fathers. Some of our church fathers taught that the Holy Spirit was the love that knit the Father and the Son together. No, the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity as much as the Father and the Son. And I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. In fact, that's our first series in the new year. So I'm going to go ahead and plug you in January. We're going through the, through the study. We're going to do a study of the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that because it's not God the Father, the Son, and the Bible. It's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is that which indwells in me. And Paul's already made that, that, that fact known in 113 when he says, Having believed. You were then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that down payment to our future inheritance. And so he goes on to say, from every family, or from whom every family, again, this is a play of words because the word for father, pater, that he calls, he said, God the Father, but then the word for family is patria. They're the same root word. So God being the head of all the families from the foundation of the world, even though he called Israel to be his covenant family through whom he would give the law and bring the Savior, God's always had intended for all of his people to be gathered together. And he did that in Jesus Christ. He references this throughout the book. In 2.13, he says that those who have have been far away have been brought together. 2.16, those who have been separated have been reconciled. And now, together in 2.19, fellow citizens and of God's household. You see, God connects us together with him to others. That's what love does. And in this sense, we have been reconciled and we have been restored to God. And now God is inviting us to extend the same. 
Folks, there is more that unites us. Listen to me. There is no more that unites us than divides us. When I choose to stand with division, I'm choosing to reject sometimes my brothers and my sisters in Christ for the sake of my pride. Now, there are times you make moral stands. That's not what I'm talking about. There are times, even Paul said, you need to put that person away that sin may have them for a season and their soul be saved. I'm not talking about affirmation gospel here. I'm saying that when I choose to let unforgiveness and pride stand between me and somebody else, I'm choosing division. And we need to unite around the things that matter. God, God extends that to us. So what would it look like this year if you poured out love on someone who has wronged you, hurt you, spoke bad of you, left you, deserted you? What if in a sacrificial moment you gave to somebody who is unlovable? And you're looking at me like, but you don't know what I've been through, so let me balance this a little bit. Because some of you have been through some junk. You've been hurt, you've been abused, and the very person that has done all those things to wrong you may be sitting next to you at your Christmas meal. And you're going, oh God, how in the world could I ever show love to that person? And it makes me think about Jesus' words on the cross as he looked down at the very people who just nailed him there and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. See, I believe that, number two, love strengthens us from, inside, from the inside out. I believe that God can give you the strength to love the unlovable. Look at verse 16, he says, that he would grant you the first of these subjunctives, that is, to give, or how's he giving? He's giving out of the riches of his glory. It's, it's, it's a supply that never ends. God is the creator of the universe. If he could speak us into existence, do you think he has need for anything? But he says that he would give to us out of the, the riches of his glory to be strengthened, physically given stamina, endowed with power, which comes from the Spirit. The word power here is the word for dynamite. So we could live, let me, let me balance it like this. We could either live spiritual life as Eeyore or Tigger. Y'all know the difference between the two characters from Winnie the Pooh, right? I think everyone is fairly acquainted with Winnie the Pooh. Eeyore's the one that goes around just like this, right? But then there's Tigger. And tiggers love the mouse. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of joy that, that you want in your life is to go bouncing around. And people go like, why do you have such joy? Because I know Jesus. F.F. F. Bruce says this about this passage. The glory of God may be viewed as the sum total of his attributes. Because God himself is infinite and eternal. His glory is inexhaustible and provides the measure of his generosity when he bestows his gifts. Because his resources are inexhaustible, he cannot be impoverished by sharing them with his children. And he does so by the indwelling Holy Spirit that every one of you in this room that has truly put your faith and trust in Christ and are saved have been given the Holy Spirit. And he gave it to you, and this is what Paul is praying, that you would be strengthened, given stamina by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. So when you need boldness, he gives you that boldness. When you need strength, he can give you that strength. When you need endurance, he can push you through. 
It's so important that we understand that what connects us to God is the indwelling spirit given at the moment we put our faith and trust in him. Paul would say in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us, how will he not also with him, Christ, freely give us all things? If God gives us this empowerment freely, then how can I, in my overflow, empower other people? You know, and one of the things I said about this in the first service, I want to say again, we talk about the presence of the Lord. And I think we make that very subjective. Because we'll talk about, man, I went to this service and, man, we were in the presence of the Lord. Well, then you go to the next place and you say, all right, over here I was in the presence of the Lord. And then maybe this time I'll be over here and catch the presence of the Lord or I can sing in the presence of the Lord. I think we've got it backwards. Because the reason we talk about that is because they entered into the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of the Lord. But when Jesus came and he died on the cross and sent his spirit, he inverted that. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. It's not a matter of me dwelling in the presence of the Lord. It's a matter of the presence of the Lord indwelling me. And so Jesus is always with us through the Holy Spirit. He's always there. In fact, third point here says love opens the door to Jesus within. Love opens that door. In fact, what I look at, a heart is the center of what motivates and it moves me. It's how the Lord works through me. And so when I think about being in the presence of the Lord, I really need to be thinking about how is the presence of the Lord in me. And so he says in here, so that Christ may dwell. This is the second of that first petition. First was to be strengthened and now is for Christ to dwell in the believer through the Holy Spirit. And he does that through faith. And we learned in, in 2.8 that we're saved through faith and now the Holy Spirit is operating in my life through faith. Ladies and gentlemen, I am no more saved right in the future than I am right now. I am not, as some, of, some of our friends may believe in other denominations, I am not in the process of being saved. I am saved. And I know I am saved because he's given me of his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is working inside of me. What he's working out is my sanctification. He's changing me from the inside out. And so I have to look at my heart like I do my home. Like I could come visit with you. But if I show up unexpectedly, you're going to be like, oh, man, somebody's here. Oh, it's the preacher. You know what you do? You go and you start shutting doors and throwing clothes under the couch. But you know what? We do that with the Lord, too. This is, this is, where, this is, this is where we've got to invert our thinking along with inverting this idea of the presence. When Jesus comes into your heart through the Holy Spirit, he wants access to every room. And your job isn't to impress him with the cleanliness of the room because it's not clean enough. Let Jesus come in and let him knock down the cobwebs and let him do the laundry and let him make the bed. Let him straighten the pictures on the wall. When we allow Jesus that opportunity to come into my life because he already loves you, you can't fix up your house to make him love you more, but you could let him come in and change your heart and then let you become a vessel of love. When I let him into my heart, when I let him live through the Holy Spirit in my heart, it changes my life. 
I think Thomas Constable sums it up best when he said, the result of this request is that Christ may be at home in the personality of the believer. So for you and me, what about today? If you had to put a percentage to it, if you had to measure how much of my heart have I let Jesus look through, 10%, 50%, what if the way you celebrate Christmas this year is that you say, Lord, I'm opening up every door in my house. Come on in. I'm not going to try to impress you. I want you to see it all. I'm going to step into the light, let you expose it, and let you clean it up. What if that's what you did this year? Because, see, here's the thing. The fifth point here is, Lord, I mean, excuse me, love provides the dimensions for our life. Love should be the very thing that provides the the very aspects of, of what I'm living for. Let me pick up in verse 18. So that you may be able, it's the second subjunctive here, that means to be strong enough or in a position to receive. But what is it that you're receiving? To comprehend. This word comprehension means to understand or relate to something coming down upon me. He says, with all the saints. Remember, I just talked about you're no more saved than you are right now, but God is working his will in you to sanctify you, to change you. You're called a saint for that reason. You're not called, they're not called saints because they were perfect. They're called saints because they in, they, the indwelling spirit is within them. And he said that the, he did this so that they could understand what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. I know I missed that whole part about being rooted and grounded, but let's, let's do this and think about building a box. When something is rooted, like a tree, it's putting roots down into the ground so that it has a way to receive nourishment. How many of you have ever seen a big oak tree that falls over and to see the root ball of that big oak tree? It goes deep into the ground so that not only is it getting nourishment, it's getting stability. That's how it stands. That's how it's able to hold up its trunk. And then when you're building a house, you, build, you put down footers and you put down a foundation so that your house has something to sit on. All of us before Christ were like a house that was building on sinking sand, but now we want to build something on a firm foundation. And then we begin to add the dimensions. We add the walls around this foundation and we put a roof on top of it. Length and depth and width and height. That measures the volume that, are, that is around us. And so what I want you to see here is that when we understand, we begin to fathom that the love of God encompasses us. It surrounds us. It, 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 it penetrates us. It's, it's, where, it's, it's what we exist in. Then I begin to see that the foundation of my life, number one, begins with the love of God and exudes from me. That is the foundation. That is the dimensions of life for which I should live. I mean, Foreigner got it wrong in 1984. I love a good, I got, I love, a good love song, especially if it's a hair band. But they were sitting here crying, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me, hey. That's the way the lyrics read. I'm just repeating it. Not that I would know how to sing that song, but I actually do. But they got it wrong. They're talking about eros. They're talking about erotic love. Make me feel love. That's, that's not the kind of love that God wants us to have in our life. Again, if hope, we look at hope, hope is something that's future. But it's not happened yet. Peace is something that is conditional. 
depending on what's going on in my life. Joy can be subjective, can it not? All three of these right here are in fluctuation, but the love of God does not change. And it's the very thing upon which I must build my foundation. F.F. Bruce describes it like this, to know the love of Christ is to know Christ himself in an ever-widening experience and to have his outgoing and self-denying love reproduced in one's self. So you want to know if you've experienced the love of God, how I can know that? You measure it by how I give love to other people. If love truly is my foundation, if love truly is the dimensions around my life, then I'm seeking to give that love. In fact, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13 and sums it up in the 13th verse when he says, but now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Some people love to give gifts. But what if in this year your giving was beyond anything that just made sense? That your giving went beyond anything that I could ever comprehend. In fact, I want you to look back at this verse, the last verse here. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses understanding. It's, it's kind of weird the way this is phrased. What he is saying here is, he's saying, I want you to begin to understand, to know the love that's going to surpass what you know. What that means is that there is this deep well of God's love that the moment you think you're starting to understand it, it goes beyond that. And you get to that next step and you think you've understood God's love and it goes beyond that. And what it leads us into is a mentality like John said that I must decrease that he may increase in my life. So for you and me sitting here today, I want us to know point number six, love surpasses earthly comprehension. It doesn't act like the earth does. We can say we love each other. But do I love somebody with the love of God? Is that what is infilling my life? Is that what my life is built on? Is that what provides my dimensions? But then the seventh point here is this. Love feels beyond what is missing. Love feels what is beyond missing. The last part of that verse, that you, this is the last subjunctive, by the way, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. In other words, that if you could describe your life as a, as a, as a one-quart jar, God's going to fill you up to that quart and overflow. If your capacity gets larger than that, it becomes like a 55-gallon a drum. God can fill that 55-gallon drum up and it overflow. God wants to overflow His fullness, His presence in your life. So rather than me seeking for a place to make me feel good, I'm seeking for the Lord to be present in my life every step, every day, every moment. So that we can be perfect like He is perfect. That we can see the thoroughness of God's love working in my life. That in not comprehending, it would produce in me this desire to want to know that love more. And so we want this love that connects us that strengthens us, that opens us up to Christ, that causes me to stand firm, that gives my life meaning, that surpasses my understanding, and it fills me to the full. That God-shaped hole that you cliche heard about many years ago, God's bigger than that God-shaped hole in your life. He's not just trying to get you to a place of comfortability. God wants to get you to a life of usability. And He wants to use you in your life. And You know, we see that in our life what we need to do is we need to receive the love that Christ proves. 
And I said proves, not proved. Because he will prove his life, beloved, to you every day. But the greatest example of it was on the cross when he sent his perfect son to die on that cross so that your sins could be forgiven, could be taken away. And there's some of you in this room today, you have been wrestling with whether or not you really know Christ. I'm not talking about an emotional experience. I'm just talking about have you repented of your sin, you've turned your back on that lifestyle, and you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, the very Word of God, who became flesh, and he lived a life, and he died on a cross. That flesh died on a cross. And because he died on the cross, he's able to take and forgive your sin, take it away. But three days later, he was raised back from the dead, and he lives forever, and he wants to give you that same eternal life when you repent and trust in him. That's what you can have today. And it's kind of like, like Buddy the Elf's dad, when he realizes the importance of family. He's sitting here making this pitch for a book, and his younger son busts in the door and says, Dad, Buddy's gone. And he's like, well, why, what's going on? I, I don't have time for this. And his son basically says, well, you never have time for it. And Walter makes the right decision. He chooses to quit his job. You know the old country western song, take this job and shove it? That's basically what he told him, and he walked out the door. But it, re- it makes us realize that at that moment, the value of family now was front and center, and he chose to love his son. And unfortunately in this room today, some of you grew up in families where you never experienced the purity of a father's love. And that breaks my heart for you. I want you to know the fullness of the love of Father God that is portrayed in what his son did on the cross. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to do something that may be a little uncomfortable. We're not going to sing. But what I want you to think about are two things, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Maybe you're in that category I talked about earlier where you were the unloved. You were the one on the fringe. You were the one that was on the outcast side. And I want to pray for you that God would heal that hurt in your heart and that he would show you the true love of a father. But on the other side of that, I think God is challenging all of us. How can we show lavish love to those who are around us this Christmas season? Maybe it is that uncle that smells that you're going to have to sit next to. Maybe you bring him a bar of deodorant. I don't know what it looks like. But what if it was extravagant? What if you gave to somebody you don't even know? You know, we did giving Christmas away. We gave presents to people we may never meet. And we didn't do that so we could pat ourselves on the back and say, man, we're good Christians. No, we did it because we wanted to show lavish love. How can you, this Christmas season, show love to somebody that doesn't deserve it, that may drive you crazy? So I'm going to pray that God will lay that on your heart. But here's what we're going to do. I want you to get together as a family. And if you're here by yourself, families, I don't want no one left by themselves. I want you to invite others to join your group. And I want us to pray for each other. So go ahead, move. Like, move right now. Get, get with your family. I'm going to let you guys pray for about 30 seconds, and then I'm going to pray to dismiss us. But I want you to pray for your family. Pray for those that are with you. Don't leave anyone out. Show the love of Christ.
Father, as our families and our friends are around this room praying today, Father, I just want to pray for that heart that may be listening in, for that heart that may be in this room that's been hurt, love's taken advantage of in some some way that that the way this world shows love has, has, has brought pain in their life. I pray for healing. I ask God that you would touch them in such a way today that it would restore the joy, the peace, and the hope that they can have in Christ. I pray that you would reveal to them the love of a real father. But also, God, as we're praying, Lord, I'm asking that you lay on our hearts, Lord, how we can show love differently this time, this time of year. That God, we would love on somebody that doesn't deserve it, that we can love on somebody that's unlovable, that, God, you would move on us, give us the power to do it, give us the resources to do it, because, God, you have resources that are so unfathomable. God, that I pray that we can see that, that you've given to us and you will give to us as we give to others. So, Lord, as we take this moment, maybe this is the only time some of us in this room have, have gathered as a family to pray. Make this moment special. God, as they hear mom, dad, or brother, or sister, someone crying out to you, bending the knee as Paul did in this passage on behalf of them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this home that we get to call Ebenezer. Now lead us as we go out this week in Jesus' name. And everybody said, hey, God bless you guys. Visit for a minute. If you're a guest, don't forget to stop by our welcome desk on on the way out. If you're staying for our vision meeting, just kind of hang out for a few minutes as our groups are coming to join us.